At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. This winter, we're taking a fresh look at a familiar story through our series, Jonah, At Odds with God. Tune in now as we face the same choice Jonah did, to receive God's mission or to resent it. Have you ever found yourself back at the beginning? Maybe you're one of those poor people who gets in a roundabout and you keep going round and round and round about. I live at 13 and Orchard Lake, and when they put the, the one in at 14 and Northwestern and or- Orchard Lake, that big dangerous one that you think you're going to die when you get in, I saw people going round and round. They didn't know how to exit it. Maybe you've been on hold before, like we've all been in the queue, right? And all of a sudden, the phone call cuts out, and you're like, seriously? You dial back in, you go through all the prompts, and then you're just stuck back in the queue like it was at the beginning. I've observed a kid or two who wants to be the line leader, except it's not their turn. And so they cut in the front of the line, and then the teacher walks them in the walk of shame to the back of the line. I've observed this in our hallway down here before. Or maybe it's a home improvement project or an IKEA project that you just thought, I don't need to look at the directions. I know how this goes together. I saw the picture on the website or in the store. Yeah, except that then you end up back at IKEA or back at the hardware store at square one. I see a couple couples giving some love nudges there. Go easy on them. Let the word of God bear on them, not you. My parents' mantra growing up, we did a lot of renovation, woodworking projects together, and my parents' mantra was always measure twice, cut once. Who's heard that before? It's a good rule of thumb. Measure twice, cut once. It can save you a lot of headache. The problem is there was a time when I finally got out on my own and I was either in a hurry or thought, no, I'm pretty sure. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. And I didn't measure twice and cut once. Dad, sorry. I'm pretty sure you're watching this. I'm sorry. I didn't do that. And I ended up back at Home Depot, frustrated but thankful. Home Depot is a 3.3 round trip from my house. Can you tell I've done this once or twice? Now, these are just minor inconveniences. These are examples of ending back up where we started that just really don't, I mean, what's a little money for lumber? What's having to call back into a, a phone call? And as we continue in our series of Jonah at odds with God, we're going to find that Jonah is right back where we started at the very beginning. And it makes you wonder, since we're back to where we were chapter one, week one, how'd we get here? How did, we're a couple chapters into it now, chapter three, all right? So where have we been? And I want to just remind you that the thread that is woven through the whole book of Jonah that you see time and time again, is God's sovereign compassion in response to humans' sin and rebellion. His sovereign compassion. It's just this this beautiful thread that that is throughout this whole true story. And if you were to fly at 30,000 feet over the story of Jonah, we're reminded that Jonah, a prophet, a Jewish prophet, his job was to tell people what God's message was, Jonah disobeyed that call because he was told, go preach to the Ninevites. And he said, no, thanks. And I'm going to go the opposite direction. But he didn't just ignore God's call. He defied it, right? 
He thought that he knew better than God about who should receive mercy and what he should do with his life and how he should communicate. And so even as Jonah lives in defiance, we at some point saw a group of sailors who had the opportunity and took the opportunity to respond in holy, reverent fear and repentance to God. And God showed them mercy. He showed compassion on the pagans, even as Jonah said, throw me in the water. I so don't want to obey God that I'm willing to die and not do it. And last week, we were reminded of God's mercy toward Jonah. It was called severe mercy. God rescued Jonah from drowning using a fish to point out his spiritual rebellion. And we see chapter 2 ending With Jonah finally relenting, he acknowledges salvation belongs to our God. That's how it ends. And he's delivered from death as the fish spits him up on dry land. And sometimes you read it and you say, this this is really in there. Like, you can't make this stuff up. That's That's a true story. But it almost seems a little unbelievable, doesn't it? Like, how can a Jewish prophet go so awry? And then how can he get swallowed and spit up and it makes it sound almost unbelievable. And yet, that's the moment, at least for me, that the Holy Spirit kind of whispers like, hey, lean in. Invites me a little closer to see in the mirror of his word that there's actually something there for you and me and he's trying to communicate to us. And so as you think about your life, Maybe you've had a time when you end up back at square one. And maybe it's more significant than Home Depot. Maybe you have a string of broken relationships. Marriages even. And you have unhealthy over-dependence on people's affirmation. Maybe you have toxic expectations that you just feel like you have to just hold everything together and, oh, people are relying on me, and maybe it's just gone to a really unhealthy place. And instead of embracing and enjoying God's good gift of living in community with people and being connected in relationship, you've grown bitter. Maybe it's bad habits and choices that didn't start out this way, but they really became gateways to sin in your heart and in your life. And you've been in that cycle for a while and you're just not prepared to do what it takes to get out of the roundabout of sin. Your soul desperately needs it. And maybe um, you've chosen to live just isolated and alone. And, you know, for the women who were here at IF, wasn't that one of the big takeaways? Find your people. Don't live isolated. Don't live not in community. We all have stuff, right? So you just own your stuff in front of other people. Find your people. Don't live isolated. You will grow angry and bitter and alone. And that's that's not what God has for you. Maybe you're here today or you're listening and you look good. Most of you do. I can actually (laughs) affirm that. Most of you look really good this morning. But maybe... The place I can't see, on the inside, you're just in this white knuckle fight, this rebellion. No, God, I will not let go. I know better about fill in the blank, 
Just like Jonah said, I know better about this than you do, God. Maybe that's you on the inside. And you're drowning and you're in need of severe mercy. Now listen, I've got the whole rest of the chapter. We haven't even jumped in, but I do want to pause for a point of application right here at the top because you have to drill this into your hearts and your heads. God is compassionate in response to sin when we are humble and when we confess. His heart always moves toward people in humility. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble, we're told. And if we say we have faith, right? If you claim to be a Christian, the litmus test of said faith is a changed life. It's actions. Real faith repents. That's the litmus test for whether or not you have faith. And I know we're early in the sermon. It's already feeling a little heavy, but I want to just deliver some really good news. That God responds to repentance. Always, he responds to repentance. But we should understand repentance first. We're going to see it a number of times throughout the chapter. What is repentance? How do we rightly understand it? Well, you probably are familiar with the idea of confession. Confession is merely saying the same thing about. So we know God defines what sin is. We know that we miss the mark. So when we confess, we're saying the same thing as God says about something. And that's needed. That's good. That's right. It's also more than just saying, I messed up, will you forgive me? Which is also another really important step. But confession, forgiveness, leads to a changed life. The Hebrew for repent is to turn, right? We're going in the opposite direction. It's the act of turning from our sin and turning toward God, toward his ways. And so with that in mind, we want to jump right into verse by verse, our chapter. Because God's call came to Jonah. He said again, verse one, it came again a second time, go to Nineveh and tell them the message. It's almost identical to chapter one, the message that he gave him. And despite being a disobedient, defiant, hot mess of a prophet covered in fish puke, he finally relented, right? He finally said, uncle, And God showed grace. He gave Jonah a second chance. And this time, verse 3 tells us Jonah obeyed. Jonah arose. He went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, that's great, right? It is. It's good that he relented. But we don't know his attitude. We don't know his, his posture as he went. I mean, we don't know why he was obedient this time around. Think about it. God had not changed. God never changes. His message to the Ninevites didn't change. The city of Nineveh did not change. The commission that Jonah was given did not change. So what changed? And I wish I could paint this really pretty picture of Jonah, that he had this 180 and it was beautiful and that he he did all the right stuff, but his heart hadn't changed. And I ask you to put a paperclip in there because that's next week. That's week four, chapter four of this series. But he didn't repent. He didn't really have a choice. I mean, at some point, He tried to run away and he drowned. (laughs) He tried to drown and God saved him with a fish. And so at some point, he witnessed the futility of running and disobedience in light of God's miraculous sovereignty. And he finally just said, okay, I'm going to drag myself off to Nineveh. Now, I'm sure he had a lot to process on that trip. 
in case you're geographically challenged, kind of like the people in the roundabout, Nineveh was 550 to 600 miles from where the fish probably deposited him on the shores of the Mediterranean. And so Jonah was on the pathway of obedience for many weeks, months even, as he made the journey toward Nineveh. It took a long time for him to actually fulfill that calling. And I think there's a nugget there for us to tuck away in our minds and hearts as well. I'm going to use a a line from Pastor Eugene Peterson, a long obedience in the same direction. Long obedience in the same direction. That's that, that idea of faithful, persistent, willful pursuit of God and His ways over the long haul. You know, we may, in an instant, we may turn. We may course correct. That's repentance. It's turning, course correcting from sin toward God. But sometimes we have to wait a long while. We have to journey a long while to fulfill the calling that God has given us. So be faithful, be willing, be persistent, be genuine, keep going, demonstrate long obedience in the same direction. Now, verse 3 continues that Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth, I think a better translation is that a visit was three days journey. You may even have a footnote or a note in your Bible about that. So it makes us wonder, what's so great about Nineveh? Why, why is it called a great city and then it qualifies it in verse 3 that it's an exceedingly great city? So it makes it sound like it's a big metropolis. It's just a great big city. And what you learn, because I don't intrinsically know about Assyrian history, so you have to do a little research, is it was an important city in the Assyrian Empire. And archaeologists have since discovered its advancements, its culture, its opulence. But it was also, we learned this in week one, it was also super cruel and ruthless and evil. You actually read about Nineveh all through the Old Testament and and in extra-biblical historical narratives about how wicked they were, particularly to their enemies. And so don't miss the point here. Nineveh was a great city, but not just because it was this great metropolis, but it was really a great city to God. That's the meaning of the Hebrew here. It was an exceedingly great city to God. So it's not the size, it's the significance of Nineveh. And God cared about them which is crazy. It's a pagan city, right? They don't worship Jehovah. They're not Jewish. They're not the covenant people. And yet God's heart was for Nineveh. The pagan city was on the heart of God. And he he was sending his prophet to open up the door to them so that they would experience salvation. And I don't know if that grabs your attention like it did mine, but you've got to think about this. They are such a bad, wicked people. And yet God moved towards sinners Is that true of anybody else's life? A hallelujah that thankfully God moves towards sinners. I have been the recipient of that. And you know, he is, it's not just like, oh, we can kind of sweep this under the carpet. No, God is holy. He's full of justice. He can't just overlook sin. It has to be legit. 
this idea of repentance, but his desire is always to show grace and mercy to save. And we are reminded of that in 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. He's not wishing, he's not willing that anybody would die, but that all should reach repentance. There's our word. And so Jonah enters the city, and verse 4, yet 40 days, here's, here's his message, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown or demolished. That is a short sermon. Don't get any ideas. You're not Nineveh, I'm not Jonah. Mine's going to go a little longer than just that. But that's, that's all we have recorded in here, right? Very short sermon. But we have some indication, we have some reason to believe it may have been a little bit more. I mean, scholars say if you look at the king's res- response in verse 8, he, he realized that the city's evil linked and violent, evil and violence are linked to their guilt. So there may be some indication that, that there was a little bit more, but it was a short and powerful sermon. Makes you wonder, where else in Scripture do you see powerful sermons that have a great response? Well, I, I go back to Acts 2, the Pentecost. So Jesus has gone back up into heaven. The apostles wait in Jerusalem like Jesus commanded them, and the Holy Spirit falls on them. And because it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of people in Jerusalem at that time, Peter stands up and he has the opportunity to deliver a very amazing and powerful sermon under the power of the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Spirit. He was. And so what he did in that amazing message is he just walked through. He wasn't like opening scripture because it wasn't I mean, he was, he was in the process of Scripture, right? So he's, he's explaining who Jesus is. He's talking about God's promised one, the Messiah, and that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Messiah. And then he says, because there are a bunch of Jews, you killed him, but he's not dead. God raised him from the dead, and now he is seated at the right hand of the Father up in heaven. And it says in Acts 2 that when people heard this, they were cut to the heart. Not the beating heart, but the deepest places of their souls. It affected them. They were convicted and they asked the apostles, what do we do? And Peter's response is repent and be baptized. And Acts 2 says that God called about 3,000 people into his family that day. How cool would that be to be there for that moment? They responded to the call to repent. But what was the prerequisite to them repenting? How did they know what they were supposed to repent from? Well, they heard the word of God. They never could have been cut to the heart apart from hearing God's word. And so this section of Jonah reminds us, just like with the Ninevites, that repentance begins with hearing the word of God. For the Ninevites to respond, they have to hear the message. They would not have had these scrolls laying around from Moses. That that wouldn't be found in Nineveh. They wouldn't have known unless unless Jonah preached to them the message. And they were convicted. They needed to hear the word of God. And you know, nothing has changed in the millennia since Nineveh. It's the same today. It's the power of God's word in our lives as we read it. And it comes to bear upon our lives. 
and in the lives of those who don't even know God yet. They're far from God. But it's real and it's true and it's living and it's active. Remember 2 Timothy 3? Verse 16 says, all scripture, it's breathed out for God. It goes on to say that it's beneficial for us in active repentance and change. That is the word of God that comes to bear on our lives. And so I wonder this morning, are you hearing God's word? And not just in this moment. Probably can hear my voice, but are you hearing it? What place does it have in your daily life? If you're married, what place does the word of God have in your marriage? If you have a family, what what is the role of the word of God in your family? You and I have so much access to God's word in multiple forms, multiple devices. We have commentaries, we have blogs and all sorts of things to help us to understand God's word, and who he is and what his, his story of work and redemption. We have a lot more than the Ninevites for sure. But the convicting question for me and you is, are you listening? Are you discovering God's word for yourself? Or, like Jonah, were you checked out and complacent or defiant and missing out on God's call for you to live obediently? Because if you've been in a season of running, maybe it looked different from Jonah. Maybe you've been in a season of disobedience. I want to just speak that God's word is coming to you again, even today. It shook Jonah up. We're going to see what it did to the Ninevites, but what about you? If you've been living in disobedience, God still wants to be with you. He leans toward you as you are humble. He wants to share his heart with you, to hear from you. It's meant to be a conversation. He wants to use you. God is a God of second chances, a God of grace, which we sang about in our first song. Amazing grace. Hear the word of God for you today. We continue to verse 5 and we see the Ninevites' responses. The people of Nineveh believed God. And so we're reminded that repentance involves believing the word. We have to hear God's word And we believe God's word. They called for a fast. They put on sackcloth and ashes from the greatest to the least. And even the king was involved. And I think it's pretty amazing. I mean, this, this people that did not know Jehovah, they did not worship Jehovah, that they would respond like this. It is surprising to me. It's not just a a verbal assent or lip service. You know, you might think that like, oh, if we actually just make it look like we're good. Maybe this deity will give us a pass. But no, it was, it was immediately a genuine repentance and steps of genuine repentance. That makes me wonder, how does this happen? Like, how, how, did, how did such a wicked, cruel people change? How can the city behave like this and change course? Well, we don't have time, again, to unpack all the Assyrian history leading up to the time of Jonah's arrival, but... But if you study history, as some people have, they talk about some of the things that led up to the time that Jonah arrived on site. They experienced some conflict or wars with other nations. 
famines, plagues, eclipses, which like meteorologists tell us about, but imagine if you're in the ancient world and you have no idea why the sun or the moon has just gone out. So all of these things perhaps were omens of far worse things to come. And so you have a, a prophet who shows up and who's bringing a message of impending doom. And perhaps their minds were a little bit more attuned because of what had happened to them. However, I don't want to minimize the fact that when God moves, he moves. God doesn't need to use physical world. You can't explain this stuff just by the physical world. God is powerful and he can use natural disasters. He can use wars and conflicts and tragedies, which is what I have been praying now for, for more than a week for Ukraine and for Russia, that God would use this, particularly in the life of the church, for them to rise up in greater obedience and dependence upon the Lord, but that also that it would be the way that God shakes up a people and humbles them and calls them to himself because you can't explain wholesale repentance of this scale by physical terms. When God moves, he really moves. He doesn't need to use physical nature for that or people. And so here again, we see a compassionate God who responds to humble people who are repentant. And it's a beautiful story on repeat in the pages of Scripture, in the annals of time, in my life and in your life. When we respond to the gospel, we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We repent of our former belief system. So we turn away from a certain way of living and we place our trust solely in Christ alone. Now, some may say it's a one and done thing. You do it one time at the beginning of your faith journey, but you don't ever have to do it again. Is that true, though? No. No, it's not. The Christian life is a continued call to repentance. It's a continued journey of repentance and belief as the Holy Spirit renews our mind by his word. That's Romans 12, 2. He renews our mind so that we have the ability to see clearly. And... As we continue on the journey of repentance, we're not losing our salvation. That's not what we're talking about here. But we have to be, we continually just struggle. I mean, I do. I feel the effects of the sin nature still that is dying within me, even though I have been made new in Christ. There is a constant struggle of, am I going to believe God and his way, his truths that I read in scripture, or am I going to believe lies that the, that the devil whispers to me? And so because of this constant struggle, we have to be reminded again, we have to turn back in belief to God's truth revealed by the word of God, the importance of being in the word. And repentance is this lifetime journey that we're on, the work of God that comes through his word to change us in our belief. Because a part of repentance is changing our belief as we're confronted with the truth of Scripture. And so I wonder, what are you currently believing that needs to change? What are lies about God? What are lies about yourself? Lies about the world that you've just either hook, line, and sinker swallowed or you've allowed to seep into your minds? because of the world we live in, because of the culture. What truth or promise or command that you see in Scripture are you refusing to believe because you're believing the lies of Satan instead of the truth of the Word of God? 
In his latest book that just came out not too many months ago, John Mark Comer writes this, our fight with the devil is first and foremost to take back control of our minds from their captivity to lies and liberate them with the weapon of truth. Isn't that awesome? The weapon of truth. As a follower of Jesus, whatever it is for you, God is calling you to repentance. He's calling you to repent of the wrong belief. It usually starts with what we tell ourselves. And then it plays out into how we act. God calls us to believe and to remember and to embrace that Jesus is better. That's the flourishing life. That's the life abundance, abiding with him, pushing back on the lies of darkness because Jesus is more satisfying. And so, dear brother or sister in Christ, if you are not consistently hearing, reading, responding to, obeying God's word, then you're, you're starving yourself. It's meant to be our spiritual food and what gives us life. There's a feast here and you're content with just a little nibble when I open up the word or Jacob does or you hear a, you, you see just a little Bible verse. But if you're not in it yourself, if you're not feasting for yourself, then you're going to just starve yourself. You can't rely on somebody here opening it. You can't rely on Christian music that you just listen to when you drive around. Can't listen to a podcaster only. Read an author. All those are wonderful supplements, wonderful supplements. But you are missing out. And God's word is saying to you, repent, believe be different because of the word. And today, Jonah is God's word revealed to you and me for his glory and for our good and for life change. Perhaps you're here and you don't call yourself a follower of Jesus and you've yet to actually believe and repent. I want to humbly submit to you that God's word is also for you today. The story of Jonah and the Ninevites is for you today, just like the Ninevites, for you to recognize for you to turn, for you to believe and to worship the one true God and to believe that who he says he is, is true. And what he does in your life is evidence of that. Because I know it's not PC to say this, but I say it because scripture says it, the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is coming. The Ninevites had 40 days. I don't know what it is for you. But if you don't repent and believe, his wrath will fall upon you. And I am terrified for you to find out that it's actually true. And so hear the word of the Lord today to understand that God is one of grace. He moves towards sinners in humility. He offers a way of salvation. If he did it for the Ninevites, he can do it for you. And I want to invite you, even after we dismiss this morning, I want, I'd love to talk with you. I don't know where you are on that journey. Maybe it's early on. Maybe you've been putting this off, but I'm going to be right down here afterward. Can we have a conversation about this before you go today? The wrath of God is coming, and I want you to understand that God is a second chance God. He's shown it to me numerous times. 
But as we continue in our text, Ninevites not only hear the word and they believe the word, they respond to the word. And it's seen that everybody's in it, from the greatest to the least. That even includes the ruling class. They didn't just look good on camera so that everyone would believe good things about them, like sometimes we see in our world, but they also changed. It included animals and people. They withheld food and drink from people and animals. So serious were they. They put on sackcloth, which is this ancient practice of mourning and lament. So you have all these indications that it was legit. It was real. They cried out from God, for God to change his ways, to change what he's going to do. You know, they even turned from their evil and violence, though it was the marker of their society. That's how they pumped themselves up and made other nations around them feel frightened. That was their identity, the Assyrians. And yet they're turning from that because they realize that it's evil. They believed the word of God preached to them and they repented. And I love Verse 9, the final word that we hear from the king, he asks this question, who knows? Maybe, maybe God will see this change in us and he'll not do what he said that he would do. So it's an interesting thing because he recognizes their responsibility and God's sovereignty. Their responsibility to change their ways, but who knows? God is sovereign. And I would say that's some faith from a pagan king, especially when you consider Jonah's response to God's word. So on the one hand, you have a Jewish prophet who was unwilling to accept God's mercy on a people group. He's unwilling to obey God's direct command. He's defiant. And on the other hand, you have a pagan king who doesn't worship God and people who don't, who don't even believe in Jehovah. They hear the word and then they respond to it. Repentance requires responding to the word. And again, we're confronted with the purpose of the book of Jonah. This is not a great story that would make really good episodes of the deadliest catch if it were around in 700 BC, of how this guy got swallowed by a giant fish and look at that, he survived. It's not the purpose, it's not about the fish. Nor is it about a prophet who was pretty bad, but then look, it turned out pretty right for him. No, it's about God's mercy, his sovereign compassion and grace, in the face of rebellion and sin. But this is also an indictment about Israel. Over and over again, from the promise that God made with Abraham back at the beginning, all the way through the words of the prophets, God's purpose for Israel was to bless the world through this family, to show to the world, this is what I'm like. By the way that you live that's different from the nations around you, by the way that you treat even the stranger, the immigrant who is in your midst, all of these things, the sacrifices you keep, it's all meant to, to communicate this is what God is like 
Our obedience, our lifestyle, our devotion to Jehovah was meant to be a light to the world. Hashtag fail. Over and over and over again, Israel fails at that. And in fact, I want to call your attention to Isaiah 22, because this is not the only time that we see the nation of Assyria juxtaposed against the nation of Israel. I'll remind you briefly in Isaiah 22, I'll read just a couple of verses, that Israel is besieged. Jerusalem is about to be destroyed by the Assyrian army. Isaiah 22.5, For the Lord God of hosts has a day of tumult and trampling and confusion in the valley of vision, a battering down of walls and a shouting to the mountain. They're about to get it. And you would think on the cusp of destruction that that might move them to cry out to God, to repent, right? You'd think that. They were God's covenant people after all, and he had promised, if you obey me, I will take care of you. I will protect you. I will make a way. If you don't, I will punish you and I will destroy you. And in verse 12 of Isaiah 22, in that day, the Lord God of hosts called for weeping and mourning for baldness and wearing sackcloth. He called them to humility. He called them to repentance, to change their ways, to remember who they were and who he was. And when they should have humbled themselves, when they should have cast themselves upon God's mercy, they didn't. And instead of repenting, man, they reveled. They reveled like there was no tomorrow and there was no God. And in verse 13, it says, Behold, joy and gladness, killing oxen, slaughtering sheep, eating flesh, drinking wine. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. They said, boy, the end is coming might as well live it up. And so we're reminded that Jonah's failure is much like the nation of Israel's failure. But the wicked Ninevites rightly responded to God, and they turned to him. They changed their ways even when the Jewish prophet did not. And we read the climax of the story, the beautiful verse 10, where it says, When God saw what they did, Jonah 3.10, he relented. He didn't wipe them out. He didn't destroy them that day. He relented. And, And so first God saves Jonah's life, even in the midst of his defiance. And now we have God saving again a people who humble themselves and turn them to him. God's mercies are always unmerited. His grace is never earned. That's what one commentator so rightly remarked. His mercies are unmerited. His grace is never earned. As we finish up, we're reminded that Jonah was a prophet sent by God, told to reveal God's message, his word to some pretty unlovely people, but he disobeyed. He ended up living in the belly of a fish for three days, but God spoke and he saved him after three days and he gave him a second chance to go to the city again and deliver the message of salvation, to preach repentance to everyone who would listen. Jesus, on the other hand, was the greatest prophet to ever live. He was sent by his heavenly father to reveal his life, to reveal the word to the nations. He never sinned. He was not defiant. He was completely 
obedient, even to the point of death. And he ended up in a grave for three days. So great was his obedience. But thankfully, God spoke. He overcame sin and death and hell. And he sent his followers. We too are that tribe, beloved, into the cities of the world to preach the message of repentance. The same God, the God of Jonah, Jesus himself responds to repentance. He's a God of mercy and grace. And you know, the people were given 40 days. Why? Why 40 days? Why didn't God just wipe them out in an instant? Because they were a great city to him. He saw their worth and their value, and he wanted them to have a chance. He is gracious and long-suffering. And friend, maybe for you, it's been some weeks or months or a lifetime that God has been calling for you to repent, to change what you're listening to, what you're hearing, what you're believing, and to respond, to turn your ways Today, God's grace is coming to you through the story of Jonah and the actions of the Ninevites. Maybe somebody might ask you, are you a believer, you know, at work or wherever you spend your time? Are you a believer? And you'd say, yeah, yeah, I was raised to go to church. I go as often as I can. I live a pretty good life. I read the Bible. Sure, I'm a, sure, I'm a Christian. But friend, we have, we've been reminded this morning that it's a lot more than just hearing and it's a lot more than believing. Because Jesus said, even the demons believe. It changes the way we live. We are people not of hearing, but of doing. That is the litmus test. Real faith, genuine faith, responds in repentance, continual repentance. And so hear the message of God for you today. God, we Remember the words of Jesus in John 8, that if we abide in your word, we are his disciples. And we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. And so I'm asking for freedom for somebody this morning, for humility that would lead to their freedom and their flourishing I believe you still write that story today, even as you did with the Ninevites. And I ask you to do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.